Equity work is framed as a necessary burden, but we believe that it's work worth doing. This podcast is all about how to reframe equity work from just fighting injustice to building worth that brings justice, meaning the needs of everyone. Worth, worth. Desmond Spann, aka the Lux of Light, getting right on the mic, teaching life with that worth, worth. The imaginer, genius awakener, educator in the art of contemplating worth, worth. Podcast for teachers in the class to focus on the heart of the craft. Worth, worth. A refrain from the blame and the shame and the pain and disdain, cause we gain from that. Worth, worth. Hey, what's good, folks? Welcome to this episode of the Worth Work Podcast. I am Desmond Spann. Today we are chopping it up about racial identity. Jesse and I, we're going to get into uh, some basics, like what is racial identity and some facts about race. Um, We kick it off, though, with... um, my reluctance to kind of even dive in to uh, this topic. But since this is a place that we often start our equity journeys is learning how we racially identify and having some comfort with that, um, greater wisdom prevailed. And so here's the episode. Sit back, relax, enjoy, and uh, let's get into it. Thinking about the inciting question on this one. I'll be honest, like when you presented the idea of like doing an episode on racial identity, it's obvious that we should do it and that's why we are doing it. But I was like resistant to doing it. Mm, that's real. And why was I resistant to doing it? I think I have a view about identity that I think challenges the concept of just having like a fixed identity. Yeah, yeah, yeah which starts putting you in the camp or puts you in like, I guess whenever you you challenge like the status quo of like, of the ideology that you closely align with, Mm -hmm. you know, you can feel a little bit of like, ah, it's like, I don't know if I want to go there, but yeah, we're going there because that's why you have this quote on your wall that the job isn't to catch up to the status quo. The job is to invent the status quo. Yes. Seth Godin. I like that. That's why it's on my wall. Yeah. You're inventing the status quo. <laughs> yeah. But but we need to, to, to reinvent it. We have to know it, right? True. Or to invent it. Yeah. Reason I wanted to do this, I think like understanding, coming to grips, taking ownership of my racial identity was transformative for me in my journey. Mm. Going back to Courageous Conversations when I was in Step Up back in 2012, 2013. It's like, yeah, I know I was white my whole life, but growing up and understanding the cultural implications, the privileges, the white body supremacy. Mm-hmm. And that white body supremacy is like a newer term for me from Resma Menikin's work. But that doesn't land it as a lofty concept or social construct, but lands it deep in the body where it's like, okay. Yeah. Time to reconcile this 400-year-old wound. Yeah. You know, and, this, and, and the inciting incident that you put in this episode when we, we did our, our, our style of structuring it is 1619. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I could probably put in 
if I was being more historically accurate, could probably go further back than that. But race is a construct that has been invented to, among many things, create free labor and to justify the means for creating that free labor. Mm-hmm. You know, still uh, human bodies from Africa. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that's, you know, a simple core of it. And again, my understanding of and what I operate with now is that you can even say races, it's like a different version of tribalism, but this particular like form of it was created for this purpose. It wasn't like folks were before race running around saying, oh yeah, I'm black. Like Africans did not invent black, you know, as a way to describe people, you know? So anyway, it's a construct system to divide, create this hierarchy, justify free labor and the means to make that free labor happen as well as you know taking over land really just settling colonization to justify that work yeah and like i wanted to bring in um ruth king's work yeah. mindful of race and she is a practicing buddhist international teacher insight meditation tradition and she speaks of this book mindful of race i think it's really helpful to frame in what she calls the two truths doctrine that relates to racial identity. And the two truths doctrine describes the two realities in which we all live, ultimate reality and relative reality. Simply stated, in a relative reality, we are some body formed, habituated, ego-driven, and relating to life through concept. Mm-hmm. And that's the identities of race, gender, our family dynamics, right? And then there's ultimate reality. In ultimate reality, there's neither race nor reason to suffer. We're undivided and beyond definition. We're no bodies. We're formless, empty of self, and eternal. Coming to grips with relative reality is imperative, you know, for our journey ultimately into ultimate reality and what lies behind this existence in our bodies. Mm-hmm. You know, in my opinion, we have like lessons to learn here. There's mm-hmm. reasons we are born into our bodies, there's beautiful things to like work out. There's pain. There's suffering. Doing the dismantling racism training I did back in about nine, eight or nine years ago, Mm -hmm. they walk you through events that have happened since 1619 Mm -hmm. and don't hold back like with lynchings, with laws that are formed, interpretations of the Bible that place melanated folks in certain lineage of of Ham from Noah who were cursed people. Mm -hmm. All these interpretations that have been used to justify horrendous treatment of human beings. Right. And it makes it hard to identify racially in this sense. It makes it hard to identify racially because there's a idea that like by identifying racially, it perpetuates it. Yes. There's that idea. And yes. I don't agree with that idea. Yeah. I understand it where it comes from you know the the thing is like if we just stop talking about you know racial identities the whole colorblind thing then Mm -hmm. i don't see color yeah yeah then it just goes away and you know it doesn't because racism thrives in the shame and the shame thrives in the shadows and if you think about the construct of race and its purpose they didn't say hey we're gonna create these races so we can just make everybody you know african folks into slaves because we need the labor to build up the country. They didn't say that, right? They made these policies and then humans do what humans have to do when you have to like assault and act violence on another human being. There is a tension there. And so you have to settle that tension. And that's when the stories come. 
And it may not even be the person who's doing the violence itself. It could be the person that's witnessing the violence being done on their behalf. And then it's like, what? why are we doing this? And then you go and you look at the Bible and then you interpret it in a way that it's like, oh, that's why we're doing it. Because we're the chosen people. We're meant to rule. This is ours. We suffered so long. This land is our salvation. Also in um, Resma Menikin's work, he details just like trauma. Western how, how it lives in the body. Yeah, yeah, how it lives in the body and how it lives in the body of Western European. The trauma and the things that people were seeing. And flee, like why they came to yeah. the Americas right. was not because, was was to flee trauma right. in many cases, right. the majority. There are some messed up things going on in Europe, yes. let's just say. Right, like, and torture Again, that whole idea of like people hurt people hurt people and that's why like the this work as it takes hold and as people are really like understanding that like okay it's not so much just about you got to change policies for sure right you got you got to do all that stuff but the policies and practices and things that have to change have to start getting us to a point where we're dealing with the aspects of our own selves mm-hmm. and identity that could commit the same atrocities if we were in the same positions. Mm-hmm. You know, this might be more of an inner work kind of comment, but I think it relates to identity, you know, any kind of way is because we tend to think that because I am, for me personally, I am Black, I am not racist, mm. right? Like we tend to think stuff like that, mm-hmm. right? Or there can be like the statement, which I feel like can be helpful or not helpful, mm-hmm. all white people are racist. Right. Right. We start using identity as a way to shield us from the inner work that we need to do in order to root out like the very basic human instinct to put your self-interest over the needs of someone else. Mm -hmm. Supremist thinking. Yes. It's like to root that out. There may be times where we have to do that. And then when we do put our interest over someone else's, there will be a story that we tell ourselves and is told. Yeah, to, to calm the tension. But it doesn't make it go away in our bodies. It doesn't make it go away in our bodies. And that story, that practice of telling ourselves stories to get rid of the tension and discomfort is what allows us to be bystanders to oppression. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And sometimes we are front lines, able to do the work there. And there's other times where we don't have it to keep showing up and do the work. And I think that's okay. Again, as we start understanding what it really means to be human, it's this fluctuation. It's these cycles. It's while I am doing my part to change the system, there are times when I am complicit with the harm that the system does. And as I do the work to give myself grace in those moments, I can come back to doing this work. And bringing it all and how it all relates to like identity and racial identity is that for me, I, I operate from that standpoint of like the ultimate reality of like when I really look inside myself, like literally close my eyes and what do I see? It's like, I see dark. I don't see the word black. I don't, I don't see my name. I feel things when I close my eyes. I hear things that's around, but I could also hear things that I know are not in the room, but it's just inside my head. And I have some degree of control over that, but am I that voice? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I, mm-hmm. I exist at this point of like, as far as I am, it's like, 
I have many maps of who I am, but the terrain of who I am, I'm always exploring. And I don't yeah. really know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have not been to the full terrain that is Desmond Span. Yeah. I think that's part of the journey is kind of ex- exploring mm. that as I live life. How does like your your understanding of racial identity for you personally, and we could talk about this generally. Yeah. How does it impact us as educators and like how we we what we bring into the classroom? Why is it important, you know, for us? Yeah. I mean, so for me, operating like, okay, the core of who I am is beyond words. Mm-hmm. When I present myself to my students or in my classroom and I'm responding to energy and comments and all these things, I could just speak to the real experience. I view myself as beyond words. And actually I view other people like they're beyond words. They're beyond the words that they use to describe themselves. Like that's a part of it. I have to accept what they say about themselves because I'm not inside their head. I'm not inside their body. So I can't witness what they can witness and experience. So what they tell me about themselves is I have to accept as their truth to their best of their ability. They could be lying. Yeah, they could be 100%. They, they could be lying and not knowing that they're lying. But regardless of all that, I don't have authority to say this is who you are. And that allows me to be open for you to share and tell me who you are. Mm. And then I can work with, okay, well, you say this and you're doing this. And you say you want to go here, so here's how I can help you go there. You know, again, I've heard Karis one describe it in a lecture, some kind of like identity is like a jacket, you know? It's like I could put on a lot of different identities, right? Black person, person of color, male, cisgender, straight, middle class. Husband, father. Husband, father, son. I got dreadlocks. Yeah, you know, (laughs) exactly hip hopper, you know what I mean? Like there's all these different ways, all these different words I can use to describe who I am. Mm -hmm. And I am not those words. Mm -hmm. Those words are just descriptive of me. So when I hear you give me your words, I could, I could take it, you know, as like, you know, 99% of what it is or 90% of what it is or iceberg 10%. Yeah. 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 Right. Because there's, there's a whole lot going on that I can't see inside of you and inside students. Yeah. So I take it as that 10%. And knowing that there's more to explore beyond that. And my job as an educator is to be a guide as you explore and navigate those aspects of yourself as you're trying to uh, achieve a certain level of academic learning and success in the classroom. Now let's take two bars. Breathe, align, relax, and shine. This is an invitation to absorb whatever's coming up for you. So let's start with the breath. Long, deep, spacious breaths. Let your energy come into a state of equilibrium, of balance.
and relax my friend wherever you feel tension just bring relaxation the shoulders the jaw the body the thoughts the emotions take a moment to relax With our breath, our alignment, our relaxation, we can't help but shine. Own your shine, my friend. Back home, everybody knew that I was not only Indian, but they knew I was Punjabi. Because, you know, there's such a huge community of us. So people could tell my, my um, the state I was from, um, the religion I was. Like, there was enough diversity to have knowledge around that. Moving to Portland, um, it was the first time that I learned that I, I identify as a person of color. I did not know that growing up. I really had no idea. And I moved here when I was 30, I think. I'm 36 now. So I wasn't young or anything like when I came to this. And so moving here was a huge culture shock. I grew up in Portland. So it's kind of like these racial distinctions that we have, like white people and people of color mm -hmm. have kind of become second nature because mm -hmm. we're like liberal and we're trying to do the progressive thing and know the right terms. Mm -hmm. But there's so much of our country and, and the West that doesn't have these terms, but they're operating affected by these racial constructs that we live in. Mm. So it's, it's, it brings up a really good point, Darshan Preet, there. It's like, okay, I had this like culture identity. People knew my ethnicity, Punjabi, East Indian. But when I moved here, it's like all of a sudden I'm lumped in this category of people of color. Mm -hmm. And we talked about that a little bit on the human connection episode. Mm -hmm. that's super interesting to me of like when you wake up to racial consciousness or how we like frame it in our in our more liberal context and like a hotbed topic in education this last year or two has been critical race theory right and that's what a lot of this is based in of our understanding is like yeah people are treated differently because of their melanated skin still <laughs> all through but like you could run the data Right. House ownership, median incomes. Mm. This isn't like a thing I think a lot of like my white peers will talk about. Oh, that's, I'm not responsible for that. I wasn't alive back in then, mm. 50 years ago, 100 years ago. I'm, I'm cool now. I, I don't see color, you know, right. or I don't, I don't contribute to that. Right. Yeah. But it's like, okay, we have to deal with this wound because if you're feeling a certain way about that, if you're if you don't like considering whiteness and being a part of white body supremacy mm. and that brings up some energy for you, that's a a wound. Yeah. I love this concept with from Resma Menikin too of clean pain versus dirty pain. If there's something coming out of that, that's a charge. Right. If you don't if we don't deal with that, if I don't deal with that myself, it's gonna come out at some point. And if it comes out when I can't control it, that's dirty pain. And that might look like violence, that might look like yelling, that might look like projecting microaggressions, that could look like a variety of things that aren't I'm a good person. It does not align with that. Right. But if I can deal with it in a 
circle if i can do it deal with it in um in a training in my own work in my own journaling collectively individually doing the inner work the worth work therapy working through pain in a clean way Mm -hmm. that's where the invitation is yeah i think about where to start with this work (laughs) yeah and i think we often start here with identity Mm-hmm. I guess it's a question I have for you, right? Because again, I've always known and felt different because of the color of my skin. And I was able to just float fish in water. It's like, yep, I'm white. Mm. I, like I have some vague understanding of that, but it's not a culture. It's just the way things are. It's the norm. Yes. It's that embedded. So like, can you, because this is a courageous conversation um, question, which is... When did you first become aware of like your racial identity? Like as a kid, kind of? Maybe as a kid, yes. But also the true nature of this question, that might, might be my impatience trying to skip that part. Yeah. <laughs> right? Because you, we, what, perceive differences of like a two or something like that? Yeah. I could give you the nutshell version. What's the nutshell I, version? Because I've like written it down for... Yeah. Courageous conversation invites the racial autobiography yeah, to reflect. That's basically what this is. Maybe around that two to, to five age, mm-hmm. I had this funny idea. I played basketball with my dad all the time. I'm like, and but every time I watch TV, it's mostly black folks playing, a few mm-hmm. white people. I'm like, oh, if I continue to play basketball, I'm gonna grow up and be black. <laughs> and I was like, I'm gonna keep playing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then so that's that's like a innocent child kind right. of thing. I grew up and I remember being in like seventh, eighth grade playing baseball and there was this boys juvenile home where like all my only the people of color I knew who I was friends with went there and they had committed some sort of crime to go there uh-huh. and I remember they'd always try to escape because it was kind of like you know a, a facility that wasn't completely locked down but it was not a lot of freedom right and I remember like one of my friends planning an escape and he's like telling us about it he's like yeah I'm gonna go to Juan's house and then I'm gonna go to Rolando's house I'm like oh he's just going to like all the Mexican people's houses like to mm-hmm. escape and I'm like why isn't he going to any white people's house I'm like Oh, it kind of clicked on of like, you can't trust white people Mm. not to turn you in. Right. And so that was like a light bulb moment. Mm. And then fast forward, you know, being a white kid who's into hip hop and basketball is always like attracted and influenced and and participated in more black culture type of, uh, you know, events and whatnot. But then not until I was an educator advocate and like getting, going deep into like, the history, the social context, the construct, mm-hmm. was I really kind of waking up to the impact of of whiteness, white privilege, what that means, and invited into the like the work of it, mm-hmm. the shifting of it. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of naivety on my part, a lot of like I don't see color type attitude. I don't, you know. Mm-hmm. And then it's like through courageous conversations, it was like, oh, okay. And hearing stories of my colleagues of color, doing my own research, getting into that inner work, you know? Yeah. And like the ability to hear stories that challenge your view of the world and view of identity and still maintain a connection to the people who share those stories. Like, I think that's, mm. that's the, the leveling up that we have to, you know, continue to do. Yeah, I, I love the analogy from Jay Smooth. This really has stuck with me over the years. Oh, yeah. Doing your um, inner work, your racial work, 
is like brushing your teeth. Right. It's not like, oh, I brushed my teeth back in 2014. I took that courageous conversation or dismantling <laughs> racism training. Boom, I'm good, y'all. Right. Woke status. Right. You know, it's a continual, like, I'm going to brush my teeth. You know, we've had conversations where you've, mm-hmm. like, illuminated me on some on some racist stuff that, you know, invited me into more work. Mm-hmm. You know, my colleagues who I work with, they will say something that will invite me into some more work. I want to be that person who's like, yo, brush your teeth, you know? <laughs> right. And people need to tell me, yo, you got some stinky breath. Time to brush your teeth. Right. So I love that analogy. That works for me. Yeah. Do you, I guess, do you feel that like, well, it's kind of the same, it's the same question from the human connection episode that came up a little bit, which is just like with prioritizing human connection, I think the concept of near enemy, which I'm borrowing from Brene Brown, who I think borrowed it from Buddhist text is the, so like, again, when you're a kid and you're just hanging out and you're into what you're into and it's like, you know, all right, you're the white kid that loves like black culture and you're just connected to the culture and you're connected to the people because that's just your experience, right? And it's like the near enemy of that human connection is the not seeing their color. And the reason it's a near enemy is because the intent is like, yes, you're connected. It doesn't, you know, to you, doesn't matter how they racially identify. And so thus you're like, yeah, you're bonded. And then why it still does matter is because there's an aspect of their story you won't be able to, and again, not you in particular, right? But just as this avatar, you in the story, you won't be able to accept or hear or notice yeah. because you're not seeing their full humanity. And part mm. of that full humanity is the way we identify in the world, mm. right? So, and the way we identify in the world and the way the world identifies us because mm-hmm. that's the key thing with racial identity because it's solely based on and again my my definition of it and it, it's evolving for people right but for me because i don't want to internalize any more than i already have the division of racism so when i say i'm a black man i don't say it because black's actually a thing i say it because as long as i know folks that look like me and have had this shared experience identify this way across the globe, that's what I'm down with. Mm -hmm. I'm not doing it because I want race to be real. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And the kind of black man I am, if we're talking about uh, appearance, is like the features that give away, you know, that I'm black the most is just like nose and lips, right? Like just big nose, big lips. But I'm lighter complexion. Like to the point where folks think I'm, I'm mixed, have freckles on my face. And again, folks think I'm mixed. I'm not, right? As far as I know, everybody in my lineage that I can find and have had a relationship and talk to, black, mm-hmm. right? I have not found where the freckles come from, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Uh, I think I did some DNA thing and I think there's a little Irish in me somewhere. Mm. And that might be where the freckles are from, but... I have not found the plantation that connects me to my Irish DNA. Mm. And then I heard this through uh, Trevor Noah's book, because me and Trevor Noah are kind of same complexion, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That this complexion in South Africa is considered colored. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is another racial yeah, component. Like, yeah. yeah, like, I mean, you know, there's, there's the American history with that and the South African history with that. And, you know, there's definitely a lot of similarities in it, you know? Yeah. But, like... 
colored is a race. It's not just like how we had, you know, color and then whites and those like colors really for everybody black. And I think, yeah, they had black in South Africa, at least if I'm remembering yeah. it correctly. Then there was colored and then there was, you know, white. I got lumped in with other groups that I had never really associated with. Like growing up, most of the people I went to school with were Mexican-American. But even there, like there was enough Indians for them to be like, oh, you know, she's she's Indian. But here I've gotten everything from indigenous to African, like Ethiopian to like, are you Latinx? Like people just don't know. And so I kind of got like thrown in with that group. And I just didn't know that like somehow now I was a representative for all these other groups that I knew nothing about. It was a huge shock like huge all that to say which really connects to darshan priest's story about how you may personally identify one way racially but people around you will say ah no you look like this and i think where it really matters is how you're treated so if you present a certain way then the world is treating you some way based on how you racially present, not how you personally identify. That creates tensions within you. But I think for understanding race in the culture, it's about understanding how the perception of your race, as it contrasts or aligns with your own definition of your own race. And I think there's debate and talk amongst that. Like I said, like I'm Black because it connects me to my people. I'm not black because somebody tells me I'm black. Yeah. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, that's not why I choose this identity. And then there was somebody where if I were to go to South Africa and they're saying I'm colored, I'd be like, okay. It's like, y'all, racially, you think I'm colored? Like, that that's how I show up in their context and their culture and mm. have to navigate that, even mm-hmm. though internally I have a different experience as far as how I identify racially. So... I think that nuance is something that folks, especially folks that are outside of the dichotomy of the white black, yeah, have to like come to some type of terms with yeah, of yeah, just yeah. like me knowing the history of racism, I don't want to claim like I don't want to cling to the race-based labels because race is not a thing. But I will identify how I want to identify to find connections with other people. Mm. And if we're going to use these terms, that's fine. But let's make sure we're doing it for that purpose, not from the purpose of reinforcing the division. That's what it's for. Yes. It was not a benign construct. Yes. So we have to be really intentional about if we're going to use racial terms to describe ourselves, why are we doing that to take it for ourselves? Black lives matter. Yeah. To create unity. Yeah. To show the wounds that are bleeding in society. Yeah. Not to create division. Like as educators too, like we gather in affinity group. Mm-hmm. And when we gather that, you know, and recently it's been reframed and I appreciate this reframing for when white people gather to call it accountability groups. Because mm-hmm. we're not necessarily coming together in an affinity of our whiteness. Right. To uh, celebrate it as much as to... <laughs> To be accountable to undoing white body supremacy where we can. But going back to Darshan Preet talking about how education system was formed to educate white boys. So Mm -hmm. it's doing what it intended to do. Mm -hmm. K 
Ken Gabo in our interview talking about this system is set up for white people to feel comfortable. Right. And when we gather in an infinity group, that's not comfortable. It's like, why are we all the white people gathering and we're doing race work? I need my friend Desmond. He's the one who's got to teach me. <laughs> right. You know, my colleague of color, they're the one who has to teach me. Mm-hmm. But it's like, no, y'all, like, we, we need to get comfortable having and normalizing these conversations. Right. Maybe the near enemy of that can be all the harm that's done because of the ignorance yeah. of us white folk and depending on my black friend to teach me about race. <laughs> right. Because I'm, I'm trying to build it up in my mental, as a mental thought pattern to understand where, you know, the construct of race, tell me if I'm wrong, has been like, it's embedded mm-hmm. more into your, into your body, you know? And it is for me too, in the sense of like, not wanting to be uncomfortable. So I, if I'm uncomfortable, I have an emotional reaction and I want to be comfortable again. Mm-hmm. But here's the invitation of worth work, of inner work. Build capacity to follow those triggers that charge the uncomfortable to start to heal. For like two years, I would say just kind of reeled by my lack of understanding. And what I was, I was at George Middle School those two years. And like, you know, that school is very diverse. And like kids would come up and talk to me, like kids of color, especially would come up and talk to me. Like we had shared knowledge about stuff. And I was, I mean, yeah, of course I'm of color, but my experience growing up in central California was nowhere as, I feel like as traumatic as theirs is here. Has the culture changed enough or will the culture change enough to allow us to say, I'm sorry. Okay accept what's being communicated and then go with that moving forward mm-hmm. to the point where, cause it's, we're going to make mistakes about each other all the time. Like, okay, now I think in the classroom, in classroom, right? Student comes in a name that's, you know, not easy to figure out how to pronounce. You do the work to figure out how to say it. And hopefully you convince them that it's worth learning how to like to say, like they, they don't just do the default, like, Oh, just call me John. Right. Just because they're tired of, you know, explaining and, you know, and I get it because like if you have to do it all the time and this is kind of my point where it's like, okay, well, if you want to use, you know, your actual name, we will, you know, learn how to say it and then how do we make it to where that student does not have to keep teaching every single person how to say their name, right? Like where we, okay, this is how you say it. And then we develop something to where everybody is learning each other's names so that now that student knows everybody's going to know how to say their name, you know, and there might be, you know, some, because there's different sounds, different languages, right? That like, literally it's hard for your tongue to actually make because you haven't been making that sound all your life, right? There's that willingness to learn and grow together but it takes the burden off the student to teach everybody about their name mm-hmm. and places it to the collective mm-hmm. of a classroom right as a small example as a way to recognize that with folks who have racial identified identities that do not line up with the norm any identity that doesn't line up with the norm but we're focusing on race that there's going to be an extra burden for that person to feel the basic sense of belonging and connection, especially if they're like new to the place. Yeah. Having those continuous community building practices throughout the year, not just at the beginning of the year, where it's like you're providing opportunity for stories to be shared and heard. Celebrated. And celebrated, right? So that 
that white kid can get to know this kid of color through their stories in a real way to know like, okay, this is your fullness of your humanity and your story I can hear and I can accept. Yes. And kids are great with this. And that's the, yeah. that's the thing. If we, as the adults provide the opportunity, the kids will take it because they haven't been conditioned as long as we have. Yes. What I hear in that too is uh, the idea of the human connection piece. How can we do this? How can we normalize conversations about race, acknowledge the charge that comes with that, notice the shame, and then continue to invite like these transformative conversations? How can we normalize transformative conversations about race in a way that invites us to change? Yeah. You know what I mean? And as a white person, I'm afraid to say the wrong thing Mm -hmm. or do the wrong thing. I know I've perpetuated harm in doing that. It's like... I want to be, you know, a true, like, ally or a, and a true, like, human being who is helping to make a, the world a little bit better. And race is a huge wound that needs mm. tending to and healing. Yeah. But I can't be afraid to make a mistake and then take ownership of it. That's a part of the process. Right. You know what I mean? And I'm, I'm as a work worth collective... I think that's an invitation we could offer is like how we need, because we need young people, we need elders, we need educators to come together in this. Okay, normalizing conversations that are hard to have Mm -hmm. in a way that brings depth of transformation, creativity, and growth. Yeah. I think we do a really good job here and on what we're doing to emphasize that this work is hard. Facts. <laughs> like there's there's no way around it. And I'm hoping what's coming across and because again it's a new way of f- framing it, I think, is that like it is so worth doing. Mm-hmm. Meaning like I've experienced a really good feeling of like going from ah, I said something wrong. Oh, but it doesn't matter. You know, blah, 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 blah. I just did da, 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 da. Like, oh, this is all my internal dialogue, right? Going from, I did just did something wrong. I'm hearing the story of me justifying it to myself, you know, to assuage the pain of the fact that I just did something wrong or said something wrong, you know, inside my head. And then just moving, you know, and continuing on. And then once the initial uh, impact of my mistake within myself calmed down, I was able to recognize, okay, the right thing to do. Like, even though I wasn't called out on it, the right thing to do is to apologize for Mm. it. The student didn't say anything to me, right? They didn't say, oh, miss, you hurt my feelings or all that. Like, I recognized that it was wrong within myself. Mm. I saw, I heard the stories of me justifying it to myself to recognize, yeah, but but I can do, you know, blah, 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 blah. They didn't say anything, so I should be fine, da, 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 da. Right? To then say, you know what? All right, I'm going to go and I'm going to apologize for this. And the thing that happens after that moment, at least in this particular case I'm speaking to, um, is just that a stronger connection. Mm-hmm. Right? Where at least, you know, I can hope, right? Because the beauty about establishing human connection and all this stuff is like if you invest in it, then there's more grace. Mm-hmm. that you can give someone. If we keep racial identity and all the ways that we identify, if we use it as a way to, you know, find people, find connection, you know, because we need that. We need connection. We need belonging. We need our folks um, to make it through this culture, period. Yep. 
but then we don't use it as a way to prevent connection with somebody who doesn't identify the same way. And then we are willing to confront the harm that just will happen because we're humans and we make mistakes. Yes. Right? And then it's by confronting that harm openly and honestly and working through it that there's a chance for a stronger relationship, at least a clearing of the air of just mutual understanding. You may decide like not to mess with that person that way anymore or whatever, but you don't have to hold any tension within your body mm-hmm. about them or about what you did because it's like, you know, you you did what you could, you acknowledged and you committed to being better and to doing something different next time. You know, that atoning kind of thing that comes in. Mm-hmm. He didn't apologize just to have the person make you feel better. Yeah. It's like you you did the thing to know like, okay, you know what? I can do that. And now I also know like not to do that thing again. And I understood why I did it in the first place. And then like how I can then begin transforming yes. within yes. myself yes. to be different. Totally. I just, I, I feel that. And I just have one more thing to add. Mm-hmm. We do this work. I do this work. And from my highest self, because it's, just the good human thing to do. Mm-hmm. Note, and I wrote a poem about this. This might be a show note thing. or <laughs> wrote it years back. But initially getting into this, and we can get caught in this as, as teachers, white teachers especially, of like doing the right thing so we get a cookie. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just that whole like, oh, you're such a good white person. Here's a cookie. Yeah. You know what I mean? I wrote a poem about this just to call myself out on like, on, and I can get caught up in that easily. It's like, oh, I want to do and say the right thing so I get the recognition or I get my identity is like, oh, he's that type of white person. And I want to be that type of white person who is fighting for liberation or giving my energy to creating the conditions through which justice can emerge. <laughs> work, work. Right. Shout out to you for creating that bar right there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, just we're not doing this to get a cookie. Right. We're doing this to be more fully human. Mm-hmm. You do this work because it allows you to be aligned and to practice what you value. There it is. Oh, it's that time again. Keywords and phrases. Yes, 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 yes. Top of the Domey edition. Jesse, what are keywords? Systematic, 1619, justice, 400 year charge, ultimate reality, relative reality, courage to heal, and social construct. Ah, feel the vibration, ah, this is what I'm saying, ah, how I'm displaying, ah, beyond y'all saying, even if it's super, here we go again, I be a trooper, on the microphone, this is how I do, bruh, this is who I be, hip-hop is my identity. Pardon me, let me connect to all the trauma that's in this body, Western European white ancestral origin, now I'm residing in Oregon, where they blend black people from living originally, there's a lot of healing that needs to happen properly, a lot of healing that needs to happen in this body. I am going to the end, going to the stacks, going to begin, going to look within and see how I define my identity. Yes, black man in a place to be representing as I spit so free, I spit off the top. It gotta keep it hot as we rock the consciousness, you know it don't stop. You heard it in the streets, no justice, no peace. But what's that mean internally inside of ourselves? What we gonna do with the 1619 origin of a current hell? Okay, let's get some heaven representing lyrical weaponry just to see we can create new spells learning how to spell how do you spell freedom 
I spell it with a M-E I spell it with telepathy To see as we connect through empathy As we can see that When we come together and see who we are And let people tell us who we are Make your name, claim your stage Claim your fame, don't play their game Play the game, is that ultimate or relative? What you gonna do telling your relative? Here's what race means to me They wanna sweep it under the rug or the carpet No, it's time to deal with this in our mind's compartment Don't try to hide, it's gonna come back the skies That's the dirty pain And this is the end of the episode Thank you again for tuning <laughs> in to the Worth Work Podcast Thank you No, I, seriously, thank you I am Desmond Spad I'm Jesse the Imaginer And as always, genius over doubts All day See you in the next one mm-hmm. Don't Peace. Peace.